surrounded as we are this day by the beauty of music, the brass, the bells, the pipes of the organ, and the crescendo of this, our wonderful choir, perhaps you are having that very common reaction of, my goodness, that looks terrifying. Among the most widespread of fears is the fear of singing. Public singing, much like public speaking, are sometimes considered to be the single most common fear. They outpace the likes of heights and snakes and spiders for humankind. But beyond the phobia, there is perhaps a related fear, or at least a discomfort to which we can relate, and that is a fear of, or at least a lack of trust in, our own voices. Perhaps you've had that experience of hearing a recording of your voice sometime or another and thinking to yourself, oh, does my voice really sound like that? Well, in fact, cringing at the sound of your voice is so common that it has a name. It's known as voice confrontation. That is, being confronted with what you actually sound like, which is often so very different than what you perceived your sound to be. A common explanation for this is physical, that is based on audio frequency, that because we normally hear our own voices while talking, we receive the sound transferred internally through our bones, which lowers the sound of our voice as we receive it. But then when you receive it through a recording, without that resonance within your body, suddenly you realize that you sound differently than you thought you did. But then that's only a partial explanation. Because there, there's something about our own expectation in this fear too. For example, a 2013 study asked participants to rate the appeal and strength of different recorded voice samples. And when their own voice was secretly mixed in with these samples, participants gave significantly higher ratings to their voice when they did not recognize it as their own. Because it seems that some of us don't expect strength, power, beauty, or resonance to come through us. Or at least we don't hear these qualities in our own voices. I imagine there were so many chances for Mary to feel this way, to shudder at the sound, at least at first. Throughout this season, we are acknowledging that tendency for fear in our lives, which leads to that Advent refrain, do not be afraid, do not fear, because Christ comes to people who need to hear that, people who know, first of all, fear. These were the words that Mary first heard from the angel Gabriel, do not be afraid, Mary. And who had any more reason for fear in their life than she? The news from the angel was not good news of great joy for her, not at first. It was not a role she was expecting, not one that she had yet imagined in herself. Saying yes to God's call, consenting to it. In fact, it put her at great risk. It marginalized her in at least three ways because she's young, she's a woman, and she's unexpectedly and inexplicably pregnant. She can't hide this, not from family or village or fiancé, and so she must have been frightened when Luke describes her leaving home with haste, with haste as quickly as she can, you see. She goes to seek the comfort and understanding of an older, safer female relative, Elizabeth. 
And as she arrives and is enveloped in that solidarity, Elizabeth becomes the first of all generations since to call Mary blessed. It is this assurance that the Son is actually coming here among us. The possibilities of God realized here amidst all of the impossibilities of this earth. And Mary starts to feel it. Just as surely as she feels the child move for the first times. It is a sign of life. A reminder of what is to be. It's a reminder of who He will be. As it is a reminder of who she already is. She doesn't know everything that will happen, but still, amidst all of the opportunities that are before her to deny it, to flee it, to shrink from it, she commits herself, and she says once again, let it be with me according to your word. And this time, perhaps anticipating the course and the call of her child's life, Mary starts to sing. Kathleen Norris has written that in that moment, Mary doesn't lose her voice in the midst of fear. No, in the midst of fear, she finds it. And she finds that it is not meek and mild. It is strong. It is powerful. It is resonant. It is an instrument of the reign and justice of God. And so she sings of a God who cares deeply and passionately about people and how they live, the conditions of their lives in this world. God cares a lot about those who are shut out and marginalized, Mary sings. God cares a lot about people who in this plentiful world are hungry or in this active and bustling world are forgotten or in this loud word, world of volume and bravado are silenced. God cares about injustice and suffering and inequality of any kind. And with every word that Mary sings, this vision is being embodied in her, in a peasant girl who is poor, who is young, who is on the edges of most estimates of power in this world. The kind of woman who would birth the Son of God and have no place else to place Him but in the manger that is readily available and within reach. And if God was choosing someone to birth God's own Son, well, then you might start to think that God would choose someone who is elevated with great social power. Unless, of course, who Mary is tells us something so important about who Jesus is, which is to say that who Mary is tells us something so important about who God is. That God comes into the world this way, that God works in the world this way, and that God wanted the Son to be born to this woman, to know her particular strength and from those earliest moments even stretching into this world in her womb to hear her powerful voice how does that voice sound as it reaches our ears how do we hear that voice today as it booms with the imagery of a new kingdom born that will stand in contrast to all of the systems and kingdoms of this world god has shown strength and scattered the proud god has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up those lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God will keep the promises God has made. Well, sometimes this can be a kind of voice confrontation for us at Advent as we are confronted with what Mary's voice actually sounds like. It's what Bonhoeffer once called the most revolutionary hymn that's ever been sung. It's the kind of song that sent Herod into a murderous frenzy searching for this one to be born to Mary. 
It's the kind of song that frustrated authorities throughout the course of Jesus' life. And it's the kind of song that provokes resistance or avoidance to this day. Yes, plenty have proven to be downright afraid of Mary's voice. They do all that they can to silence it. In fact, there were places in Latin America, totalitarian governments in El Salvador and Guatemala, where within the last 50 years, the public reading of the Magnificat, like read here today, was forbidden because it was subversive activity. It was too threatening to the powers that be. Or consider how when Martin Luther and his followers translated the Bible into German, they did not translate Mary's song into the common language. We call it the Magnificat. And do you know part of why? It's because that's from the Latin. And it was only available in the Latin. Yes, some of Luther's strongest supporters were sitting on these thrones, and they didn't exactly embrace the Magnificat's reversal of conventional power, and so he left the Magnificat in Latin so that it would be less accessible to all the people. Unless we think such reactions are historic or distant from us somehow, we should ask how Mary's voice falls on our ears and our place in time. It was a voice echoed in the life and ministry and preaching of Dr. Martin Luther King when he once said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends, it bends always toward justice. But as frequently and freely as Dr. King is quoted in this statement, I sometimes wonder if we prefer the length of this arc, the distance to justice more than the actual bend and the aim that calls for us to change and to renew. If we're honest, we might prefer the symbolic, the spiritual aspects of Christ's coming to all of this abrupt talk of the mighty being pulled down from their thrones, the lowly lifted up. And yet, this is the kind of song that some people can listen to. And suddenly, they can hear their own voices differently. They can imagine their own lives more hopefully. Suddenly they can believe that the promises of God are for them and that God does not want them to suffer with hunger or disease. God doesn't want their lives to just waste away in the shadows somewhere. God doesn't want them to be lost in poverty or living amidst vulnerability and risk. My friend, Reverend Heidi Newmark, is a Lutheran pastor who once was a pastor of a tiny church in New York City in the poorest section of the Bronx, and she wrote a wonderful memoir of her time there called Breathing Space. I've referenced it before. It's a wonderful read about the life of a congregation. And she tells of this congregation composed of all kinds of people, undocumented workers, drug addicts, women who had shaken loose from prostitution, and those were just the church officers, Heidi says. She shared recently about how once amidst Advent worship, a woman read the Magnificat aloud in a congregation that was full of people, many of them living amidst marginalization and poverty. And at the end, the woman looked up and she said, Thank God. Thank God. Well, how do we hear Mary's voice? And how might hearing Mary's voice help us to hear again our own this season? Jesus, of course, we have to know, He loved the sound of His mother's voice. The New Testament scholar, Dr. Beverly Gaventa, has reminded us that Jesus had a mother who, quote, nursed and nurtured and taught Him and played with Him, told Him stories that 
later may have become parables and sang to him throughout his days. And her voice first rings out before he is even born. But don't you think it becomes the song that follows him for his entire life? And so the night he is born, Mary is joined by this multitude of angels. But they pick up the theme with this song that they sing of peace and goodwill to all. How radical. How revolutionary. And then as he grows, Jesus follows this message to the Jordan River and he connects his life to, of all people, the prophet John. Not at the center of power, but out in the wilderness with people who know what it is to exist there. He wades into the water there and he rises up from his baptism and traces of his mother's voice can surely be heard in the parting sky reminding him who he is, who we all are as beloved children of God. And it's there still reminding him who he is. When he's asked one day, are you the one? Should we wait for another? And then even when he wonders this himself, off by himself, in the garden of self-doubt, the last night of his life, I imagine that somehow that song of his mother is echoing in him. Not my will, but yours be done, he says, which sounds an awful like awful lot like something you might hear from someone who had heard of how their mother once said, let it be with me, O God, according to your word. You see, her song, it becomes his song. Her voice shapes his own voice. And it stays with him just as she herself does. So she follows him from Nazareth. She continues all the way to Jerusalem. And there she watches as the terrible events of that last holy and hard week unfold. She is there in the crowd when he's led to his trial and she's among the masses the next morning when the world he called to renewal and revolution sought to turn upside down. Finally, with all of its inertia toward the status quo, it turns back to the only order it knows and it crushes him as it does. But still, his mother is there. She refuses to leave him. Even when all of the others, Peter, John, James, all of them, they flee in fear, but his mother stays. And the Bible doesn't tell us if she says anything at all. But can't you imagine her finding her voice? Can't you imagine her lips mouthing the words, her breath catching as she seeks to project out against the Jerusalem sky? That song about a God who even in death can raise up the lowly. There's a moment early in Jesus' ministry. It's His first public moment after His baptism in the wilderness journey, in fact, when He returns to Nazareth. He comes to His hometown. And Luke describes it in chapter 4. He walks to the front of the synagogue. And He reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He reads our Old Testament lesson today. The very words that Ava read for us just a moment ago in worship. Good news to the poor. Release to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Freedom for the oppressed. Of all that Jesus could have read in His first public proclamations. Of all that He could have declared about His mission and His priorities. Luke is careful to say that Jesus found His place in the scroll. He took his time and he found his place in these words about justice and transformation. These words about change and all of what this world can yet be. And where do you think he learned to do that? But from his mother's own voice. 
Some have said that this moment for Jesus was a pivotal moment of discerning and declaring His own vocation. That's vocation. Which comes from a Latin root that means voice. Don't be afraid of your voice. It is strong. It is powerful. It sounds just like it should. It is an instrument of the justice of God as it was for Mary, whose voice this Advent might just help us to hear again our own. The Mighty One has done great things for me. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thought of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant in remembrance of His mercy. He has kept His promise for generations and generations. And friends, your voice sounds like that. It really does. And thanks be to God. Amen.